Alrighty, hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 6th of December, 2022, the day before the day that will live in infamy. I suppose this day shall forever live in the shadow of infamy. I don't know. Maybe not. Anyway, I'm Derek Hunter. I'm your host. Appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. Check out patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. To uh, support the program, get extra content, enter to win the contest, Peter Thiel versus Donald Trump autographed books, personally autographed books. The Battle of the Billionaires continues. That means by Christmas, somebody will have one of these fine books, probably both uh, different people, in their hands as we give away one autographed book per week. This is also, the Peter Thiel book is also autographed by Blake Masters, who I think is going to be a factor in at least... GOP politics for uh, the next couple of cycles and make it another bite at the uh, at elected office. So get it on the ground level of that. Anyway, appreciate all the support. All that for the low, low price of five bucks a month. Can't beat that. All you riddled with guilt out there going, I'm getting so much information and entertainment for free. How can I give back? There you go. That's how you do it. Or you just send me cash. Either way, it's all good. Anyway, let's get uh, on with the program. All right, we've got a lot of things going on. There's a bunch of things to talk about. There are um, revelations that the media simply is not in. It's amazing to me when, and I've talked about this before, when you've got a profession whose seeming job it is to obtain information, obtain and disseminate information, that when an opportunity comes along to obtain and disseminate information they pass on it they literally pass on it is it seems to me that that should be a firing offense right like right there hey you have a job to do here's somebody setting a ball on a tee for you to do that job you might not like what they're saying you might not like what you have to convey but your job isn't to pick and choose the things you like and only disseminate those that's the job of an activist your job is to disseminate all information you can get your hands on and verify that is true. And when something like the Hunter Biden files and the at the Twitter about the Hunter Biden laptop story, when those come available, that should be the beat of a lot of reporters out there. And instead, these reporters are going, there's nothing to see. I don't see what the big deal is. What's the problem here? Why is this even news? This is irrelevant. Matt Taibbi, one of my favorite things that they do, the left does this all the time. Matt Taibbi, who's the guy who Twitter worked with to get this information out, used to work at Rolling Stone. They loved him when he was a leftist. Then he left and went on his own, and turns out that all of his talk about caring about free speech, he he was serious. And that disgusts the left. And so they were not they've, they've turned on him because he has been a vocal opponent of their attempted censorship of everything not in line with what they believe. And they don't like that very much. So he's releasing these things. And at the same time, he's releasing these documents and his reporting on these documents. 
There are reporters after Ben Collins. Remember, he's the so-called uh, right wing. He covers right wing online activity. So you would think, well, if you're a left wing hack, nothing is more right wing online than the Hunter Biden story. This should be right in his wheelhouse. In the very beginning, he was prepared. See, they, they were prepared. The left is nothing if not they are. Um, well, I'd say they're Boy Scouts, but you're not allowed. I don't think you're allowed to say Boy Scouts anymore. They are person Scouts. Um, ready, always prepared. Soon after the tweet storm that announced the arrival of the story happened, there were a bunch of leftists. Most of them worked at NBC News, curiously enough. Brandy or Brittany or whatever the hell her name is, Zdronsky, some other guy who was behind the scenes. They're all tweeting... This is all stuff we knew. This is nothing new. I don't see what the big deal is. What's the problem here? Who do these people think they are? This isn't news. This is unworthy. They are not refuting anything that Matt Taibbi is reporting. They are trying to belittle it. Now, you try to belittle something when you don't want people to go and find out about it. It's not worth your time. It's a waste of time. Don't bother going over there. It's garbage. Oh, all right. It's kind of like the Media Matters model for Fox News. They, it's not that they watch Fox News so you don't have to if you're a mindless leftist. They watch Fox News so you won't. So you won't. Because they don't want you watching Fox News. They don't want you getting any contrary opinions. Why? Well, because for some, not many, granted, but for some of those leftists who are, you know, not as well trained as others, not, you know, the bad dogs that bite people, watching Fox News or opening themselves up to contrary opinions, opinions that differ from the left-wing orthodoxy, that could lead to questions. Questions. The left, if they hate one thing as a concept, it's not conservatives. It's questioning. It's disobedience. They hate conservatives because they question. They hate us because we question things, because we will not be a part of that obedient crowd that they love so much. But they dislike, they hate the disobedience more so than even the questions. They just ignore the questions. They just ignore stories they don't like. They despise people who are not obeying. And so Media Matters tells you don't watch Fox News. You know, no good can come from watching Fox News. Don't do it. And so many of the left go, all right, well, and then when asked about Fox News or anything, hey, what about that uh, Tucker Carlson guy? They, in an immediate way, in a Pavlovian way, like the bell rang, the dog expecting the treat, they go, oh, it's the most racist, transphobic, homophobic, anti-American, monstrous thing I've ever heard in my whole life. Okay, when was the last time you watched it? Oh, I've never watched it. You've never watched it, but you know for sure that it is the most homophobic, transphobic, anti-American, horrible, racist, filled with lies sort of thing in the whole world. That's a pretty good skill set you have there. If you can determine those things without ever having watched something. But that's the way the left works. Obey. And boy, do they. They do. 
And so you have this situation with this Twitter documents. They don't want you to watch them. They don't want you to read them. They don't want you to think about them. They absolutely are horrified at the prospect that people would find out about what they were hiding from you. That's because that's really what it is. The Twitter documents just expose what the mainstream leftist media had been hiding from people. Now, if you start realizing, hey, wait a second, I never heard this before. These are official documents. These are internal communications. Hey, that's an email from the Biden campaign. Or, hey, that's an email from Katie Hobbs, the Secretary of State of Arizona, who's now the governor-elect of Arizona, saying, censor this, censor that. That seems seems un-American. If you start having those thoughts, then the left runs risk of losing you. So much of what the left does is designed to insulate people from being exposed to things the left do not want them to have. Now, now most of the media you don't really have to worry about. Like I told you, Ben Collins, within a couple of tweets of Matt Taibbi's Twitter thread announcing the story on Friday evening, Ben Collins announced that there was nothing new that we didn't already know in these documents, and it was a big waste of time. All this build up for nothing, he says. Oh, how dare they? This is such a waste of time. Meaning, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Don't don't go and read the story for yourself. Just know that it's old news. It's bad news. It's garbage news. It's not, in fact, news at all. Don't do it. Now, this is a guy whose job it is to report on this beat. That's his job. And instead, he's out there tweeting, imagine throwing it all away to do PR work for the richest person in the world. Humiliating, and then S-word. Yeah, Matt Taibbi has more integrity than Ben Collins, but if Ben Collins were really concerned, uh, wanted to damage Matt Taibbi, he'd say, "Go go and read this garbage. Check it out for yourself. There's nothing in there. There's no revelations whatsoever. Instead, he just tries to belittle him, belittle the concept. Which is funny because Ben Collins works for NBC News, owned by Comcast, one of the biggest companies in the world. The value of those companies dwarfs anything, anything. Elon Musk could ever dream of being on the best day for Tesla stock. Yet Ben Collins, is he a tool of these rich liberal corporations? Well, he's a tool. I don't know that he's, you know, I don't think he's changed his opinions because of who he works for. I think if Comcast were to sell NBC News to a company that decided NBC News had to have some integrity, some journalistic integrity, I don't think Ben Collins would would dare continue to work there. I think you would go, this is ridiculous. I refuse to be a part of this. He wouldn't be able to handle it. He doesn't have what it is. But look, three tweets into the story on Friday, Ben Collins tweeted, Elon Musk paid $44 billion to discover what we already knew. Content moderation is messy and involves whole teams of people with a range of viewpoints trying to appease different political affections. Then he gave leaks to a Substack man 
who presented it as Blockbuster. It just started. Ben Collins had no idea what was coming, had no idea what was in these documents. He'd never seen them. He never wanted to see them. He was told not to bother with them. So he immediately, like a very good dog, dismissed the concept as quickly as he possibly could, and his NBC News colleagues did the same thing. Oh, this is an outrage. Why would anybody waste time? Such garbage, such terrible people. In fact, the memo went out. I mentioned how Benny had uh, said, oh, this is uh, just doing PR for the world's richest man. Well, that was a pretty common talking point, oddly enough, amongst the hive mind. I told you they're a hive mind, didn't I? Mehdi Hassan, who has a show, it's granted it's on the weekends and it's on MSNBC, but he, see if you notice, these are all left-wing media types, most of whom are associated with NBC News. These are all individual tweets from these people. Mehdi Hassan, quote, imagine volunteering to do online PR work for the world's richest man on a Friday night in service of nakedly and cynically right-wing narratives and then pretending you're speaking truth to power. Ben Collins, imagine throwing it all away to do PR work for the richest person in the world, humiliating feces. Matt McDermott, Matt Taibbi was and still remains a fraud. Doing PR for the richest person in the world should come as no surprise. From Simon Owens, from calling Goldman Sachs a vampire squid to giving free PR to the world's richest billionaire. Man, what a career journey. Michael Luciano, Matt Taibbi went from a fierce, intrepid journalist to taking aim at the wealthy, uh, taking aim at the wealthy and powerful, to doing mundane PR work for the world's richest huckster. Isn't that nice? John Neffel, Matt Taibbi's threat is a great example of underwriting when you don't have the goods, but don't want to admit you're just doing PR for the world's richest person. Hmm. <laughs> the memo went out, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't even have to be a memo. It doesn't have to be an email. One thought that occurs to a member of the hive mind occurs to all members of the hive mind. That's the way the hive mind works. Attack an ant colony and kill the queen. Or a, a bee's nest and kill the queen. Watch what happens to the colony. They fall apart. Move the queen bee. And every bee will follow. Every ant will follow. They don't need to be ordered to do something. It is instinctive. Now, if I were in charge of any of these people, if I were their bosses, I'd fire them immediately. Because their their attitude betrays their bias, which at this point, if you didn't know that these people were biased, you're an idiot and you should probably be fired too. But... Worse than that, their attitude shows a complete and total lack of curiosity. A complete and total lack of curiosity. And they seek to actively discourage curiosity in others. It's amazing that these people still have jobs today. They shouldn't. And this coming on the the heels of Ben Collins. Now, Ben Collins was a hero just a week ago. Remember the uh, Colorado Springs shooting back when they thought it was uh, some rabid right-winger killing gay people because of uh, the, the uh, 
one of the, the drag queen brunches and the drag queen story hours. Oh, that's why they did. It was all that right wing rhetoric. People saying that that genitals shouldn't be rubbed in the faces of of children. This is an outrage that caused the homophobia and transphobia that led to that shooting at the gay club. And then it turns out that the alleged killer was one of their own on their team. Mental problems galore. And uh, suddenly Ben Collins, while he was getting cheered for this teary-eyed outrage, suddenly shut up about it. He hasn't talked about it at all. He didn't report it on it. He never really reported on it anyway. He was in New York. He didn't set foot in Colorado Springs. He couldn't be bothered to do that. Plane rides. Why? Who needs to do on the job, on the, the scene reporting, when you can just opine from the Morning Joe studios in New York City? He should have been fired for that or at least suspended for that. Instead, the guy who uh, reported that Paul Pelosi opened the door and didn't immediately run to police during the time of his alleged attack, that guy's been suspended and hasn't been seen for more than a month. You really have to wonder what the priorities are over at NBC News, don't you? Actually, you don't. You know what the priorities are over at NBC News. We have always known, or at least for the last decade or more, have known what the priorities are over at NBC News. And it certainly isn't the news part of their name. So the complete and total dismissal of these revelations by the leftist media, you can't call them mainstream media. There's nothing mainstream about them. They don't even pretend to preach to or inform a mainstream of the American population. But leftist media, the establishment media, CBS News, the networks ignored this. NBC News, people couldn't be bothered. They'd tweet about it, telling you don't don't read it. But that's it. CBS News didn't bother ABC News. The New York Times finally got around to it. It's kind of a one of those situations where when every other option is exhausted, it's like how Democrats operate. When every other option is exhausted, they will eventually get around to doing the bare minimum. In their newsletter uh, this morning, this was how they referred to it at the New York Times. This is down at the bottom of the newsletter. <laughs> it's amazing. how they, I don't know how these people look at themselves in the mirror. I get it. Just... It's not that they're liars. It's that they insist so loudly that they're truth tellers. We speak truth to power. When? When have you done that? Who's in power right now? On what planet do you live where somebody else is in power? But their newsletter by Peter Baker, award-winning journalist. The headline has nothing to do with the end of a presidential launch pad. We'll get into this. The Democrats try to get they want to get they get rid of Iowa as the first in the nation caucus which is fine I was I don't care the order that these things go in the reasons behind it are a little gross they're race based but you know that's what democrats are but if you scroll down way to the bottom they have different subsections the big mo meaning momentum for biden the winnowing of the field it's the whole history of the caucuses and primary things and then it says the latest news at the bottom there's politics there's four stories international there's only two stories apparently <laughs> it's amazing political has four stories happening and international meaning the rest of the world has two stories <laughs> Then there's Ukraine, the war in Ukraine. That gets three stories. So I guess technically five, but it gets its own category. And then it says other 
big stories. And the first thing listed as other big stories are internal documents from Twitter reveal how the company handled an unconfirmed news report about Hunter Biden. That's it. An unconfirmed news report about Hunter Biden. Um, unconfirmed. Now, what's funny about that choice of words, the word choice is very, very important, ladies and gentlemen. Unconfirmed. CBS News famously just two weeks ago, which is, makes their ignoring of this story all the more bizarre, finally got around 700 and some odd days after the story had broken, after the New York Post had confirmed the story, after Fox News had confirmed the story. They finally got around to confirming the story. How did they do this, you know, sleuthing? This amazing bit of, of, of sleuthing out there. Well, they took the laptop... They took their copy of the hard drive to two experts who were father and son. And they said, hey, could you look at this and see if you think it's real? And sure enough, they looked at it and said, yeah, we think it's real. Now, this is something that was not new science. Like I said, it was a father and son. So the odds of a father and son being aged two and newborn are pretty slim. That means that they've been around a while. Also, the odds of them both starting a business in computer forensic sciences in the last two years, probably pretty slim, too. I suspect they'd been at it for some time. So CBS News literally did perhaps the easiest bit of information and investigation they ever could have possibly done. They likely did a Google search, said, oh, can we, okay, these people say they can do this. Now, they're literally millions, but thousands of people, hundreds at a minimum, but thousands of people out there who could have been uh, forensic engineers, computer engineers, looked at this information and verified it. CBS News didn't do it for two years, not because they couldn't, not because it was impossible. It's just too too big of a, a mountain to climb. No, they didn't do it for two years because they didn't want to do it for two years. They didn't want to do it for two years. But once Elon Musk bought Twitter, it became clear to anybody paying attention that what happened on Friday was going to happen. That sooner or later, the internal deliberations of the, regarding that story and a whole bunch of other stories would come out, would be revealed. Now, we've just seen the tip of the iceberg, uh, Taibi and... Elon Musk are saying there's a whole lot more to come and it's going to come over the next few days and maybe even longer. So that CBS saw this pitch coming down the pipe makes me think that maybe just maybe there were could be some emails from CBS News executives or reporters in the emails of Twitter executives asking for certain things to be magnified, amplified, or dialed back. Just saying. Zwilts would CBS News bother to go through and verify a story on its own that, frankly, by that point, even the New York Times and the Washington Post had verified themselves. That's usually enough. If the Post reports something or the Times reports something, then all the other left-wing outlets go, as reported by the such-and-such, and and they don't have to go through the rigmarole. They don't have to continue to go over the same steps. They did in this case. They did in this case, and I assume they did that because they wanted to pretend that their integrity, you see, demanded it. It's the only way. We had to do this for ourselves. 
journalistic integrity required we do this. Well, if you did it, then why didn't you report on anything related to, say, the Biden campaign or the Secretary of State of Arizona or any other number of Democrat officials who were working with Democrats inside Twitter to silence stories? Why didn't you report on that? Because they don't care. It's just relegated to uh, unconfirmed reports. Well, it took the New York Times more than a year to confirm the laptop story, confirm the authenticity of the laptop. So when the New York Times referred to it as unconfirmed news reports, it's amazing what can remain and how long things can remain unconfirmed when you actively work against confirming them. When not only you don't go out and do the basics like CBS News did two and a half years later, the basics of reporting on this thing, but that any mention of it in your outlet is designed expressly and explicitly to undermine the actual reporting on it that had gone on. The reporting up to this point in the New York Times, well, up until about a year ago, when the New York Times finally got around, it wasn't even actually a year ago, finally got around to confirming the laptop was real, was this was hacked material, stolen material, unconfirmed reports, don't really believe it, don't trust it. Never once after they quote-unquote confirmed it did they ever do a mea culpa or eat a big bowl of crow and say, well... I guess the New York Post really had it right. And we, well, why would they, they wouldn't do that. If they did that, they'd have to admit that this little tabloid in New York City had more journalistic integrity and better resources at its fingertips and was willing to do the legwork than the old gray lady of news did. That's true, but they're not about to admit it. And so you get this story today in the New York Times by Michael Grinbaum, I think it is. G-R-Y-N-B-A-U-M. He's a columnist and reporter at the New York Times, a media correspondent, covering the intersection of business, culture, and politics. Well, that's a, it's got a messy intersection there. But what I found interesting about this is they are still playing blocker. They are still getting the facts wrong. They are still deflecting. In paragraph one, two, three, four, five, six of the story, it reads this. Mr. Musk and Mr. Taibbi framed the exchanges as evidence of rank censorship and pernicious influence by liberals. Many others, even some ardent Twitter critics, were less impressed, saying the exchanges merely showed a group of executives earnestly debating how to deal with unconfirmed news reports that was based on information from a stolen laptop. This is the unconfirmed news reports again, a news organization whose job it is theoretically to confirm these things, who actively refuse to try. They actively refuse to try to confirm the validity of the laptop. And why? It's in the last part, the last two words of it. Unconfirmed news reports that were based on information from a, quote, stolen laptop. He's still referring to it as a stolen laptop. The laptop was not stolen. That was a lot of what Twitter and their internal deliberations hung their hat on. They said, well, we couldn't, we're not allowed to report on this because it was a stolen laptop. 
Well, so much of the information that the media does report on, particularly during the Trump administration when they were kind of trying to do journalism, was based on leaked information, stolen information. Leaked information is stolen information. If it's classified documents, if it's personal, confidential information, that is not meant for public consumption and the public gets their hands on it or somebody in media gets their hands on it, it is by very definition stolen. But that's different because they want that information. They want to try and destroy the Trump administration. The Biden administration, there hasn't really been all that much leaked. Have you notice that? It's weird. All those sources have gone silent. But I suspect it's not because the sources don't have information. It's because the reciprocals of those, or uh, receptacles, if you will, of that so information aren't interested in the information right now. But to say it was a stolen laptop is to play the left-wing game. It was never stolen. Crack-smoking, drugged-out, drunk-ass hunter took it to the repair shop, dropped it off there for whatever repairs were needed. It got done, and he never came back to get it. He never responded to calls that, hey, your laptop is ready, and after 90 days, as per law, that laptop became the property of the store. It became abandoned property, and the contract that Hunter signed in repairs made that laptop the store owners, at which point everything on it became the store owners. Nothing about it is stolen. They're still lying about it because they have to. That was the guise under which they ignored the story in the first place. This is, this is stolen information. I don't know, but I'm not sure about stolen information, which is rich coming from the New York Times and uh, the people who brought you the Pentagon Papers, a stolen material. But that was their story. And to this day... They're running with it because they don't actually care. They're on a team. They're on a team and they'll do anything to help their team win, including lie, which is not all that new. But it's always a little bit shocking every single time you see it. Just a little bit. Now, I want to play for you Michael Steele. Everybody loves Michael Steele, loved Michael Steele. Michael Steele was such a nice guy. I personally, I, I liked Michael Steele. I have uh, invited Michael Steele to a great many events. I introduced Michael Steele at a couple of events. He came to a happy hour I used to organize. He was a super nice guy when he was the chairman of the Republican National Committee. Then he lost his bid for re-election. Now, personally, when I... Uh, eh, this might be controversial, but I don't care. It's true. Michael Steele, I looked at him. There wasn't really a... In, you got to remember in 2000... What was it? When did Michael Steele become the chair? Well, he was definitely chair in 2010 because he was the... Uh, he He helped... Republicans win the House. He was the chairman when Republicans won the House. So he was there. Let's see. I'm trying to look this up. Lieutenant Governor till 2007, 2008. Let's see. Chairman of the National Committee, January 2009 through January 2011. Okay. So right after the 2008 election, he became the chairman of the Republican National Committee. He had one term, two years. He's been dining out on it ever since. Because nobody, frankly, 
history is littered with lieutenant governors from sea to shining sea that never went on to do anything and nobody ever gave a damn about because why would you? You're lieutenant governor. Nobody goes, God, I really hate the governor, but that second in command, I voted for the ticket because the second in command. I really support the guy who has no power whatsoever and no real official duties. All right? That's who I voted for. Never. I voted for somebody on the off chance that the governor is unable to continue and fulfill his terms. And then this guy will step in and do it. I doubt that. So if he hadn't been chairman of the Republican National Committee, Michael Steele would have, what's the words I'm looking for? Oh, yeah. Had to have had a real job by now. But he doesn't. He doesn't have to because he was chairman of the Republican National Committee. My opposition to uh, Michael Steele or my question, my hesitation about Michael Steele wasn't that I didn't think he could do the job. You had to raise a bunch of money. That was it. That's what the job of the chairman of the Republican National Committee is. But it was, let's see, who did he run? Saul Anuzis. I knew Saul. I knew, actually, Saul's brother, Andy Anuzis, was who got me into politics in the first place back in high school. Ken Blackwell, I liked Ken Blackwell more than I liked Michael Steele. He seemed more serious. And somebody named Caton Dawson, I don't know who that is, uh, South Carolina chair. Those are the people who ran against Michael Steele. I didn't particularly think Michael Steele was the best because I didn't think he was all that conservative. But he was conservative enough. You don't have to be, if you, you have to be willing to subjugate your personal opinions for what the party's platform is which probably should have been an indication that Michael Steele was willing to enable to do that. Just like being a press secretary for a senator. There are things where you agree with them and things you don't. But your job is not to go out there and tell the press why you think your boss screwed up, why you think your boss is wrong. Your job is to go out there and tell the press why you think your boss or why your bo what your boss did was right, not why you think it. it has nothing to do with what you think. Chairman of the Republican National Committee is the same way. And it seemed to me that the justification for Michael Steele at the time was just after the election of Barack Obama, the, not that it's ever not a narrative with the left, but it was more of a narrative of the left. This is the end of the Republican Party because they're a bunch of racists. Because they're a bunch of racists. So then the Republican Party sort of coalesced around Michael Steele, not because he was particularly the best candidate. I don't know how you choose who the best candidate is, but because he's a black guy. Well, we have a black guy, too, which was my hesitation about a, a Michael, not that I had a vote, but my hesitation about a Michael Steele was, if you're going to elect Michael Steele, that's fine. Elect Michael Steele. If you're going to elect anybody, chair of the party, that's fine. Elect them chair of the party. But if you're doing it as a reaction to the election of Barack Obama, that's the wrong reason to do it. It's the wrong where you should elect the right candidate. Now, I don't didn't know these candidates personally, except for Saul and a little bit Michael Steele. I'd met Ken Blackwell. I don't know who Mike Duncan is. And like I said, Caton Dawson uh, it doesn't mean anything to me. I don't know who that is. But um, if you're going to elect somebody, do it for the right reasons. And it seemed to me to be that the, the RNC decided that they had to combat what the left was saying is right or racist, right or Republicans are racist by saying we're not racist. We have a black guy, too. But Michael Steele did the job and he did it fairly well. It wasn't until later that 
it had been determined that they'd wasted a ton of money and that financially the house was in absolute disarray and all the thousands and thousands of dollars spent at strip clubs. Not that Michael Steele was going to strip clubs, as far as we know, or I remember, but people at the RNC using the corporate credit cards at strip clubs and things like that is a little bit too much. And you go, okay, well, we, who knows what could have happened? Republicans had a great year in the House in 2010 because of Obamacare. They could have and should have taken the Senate that year, but didn't. Didn't take the Senate until 2014 because of bad candidates. The RNC has to take some responsibility for that. So Michael Steele was tossed out after one term. I know for a fact that Michael Steele has been very bitter about that. He wanted to keep the job. Who wouldn't? It's a cushy job, pays well, and you get to be treated like a king, having a staff around you that you don't have to pay for. So after that, Michael Steele got mixed up with MSNBC. He was on Fox, too. It, it, it was weird because he was. this was before the networks had really sort of split and become PR machines for political parties completely. The left was always saying that's what Fox was, but Fox was more down the middle than they ever were. Now they've all gone to their respective corners. And Michael Steele was hired by MSNBC. And once you're hired by MSNBC, you're never, the only other option for a Republican is Fox. You're not going to be hired by Fox again because of all the things you had to do and say in order to get the contract at MSNBC. So since then, Michael Steele has been going further and further and further to the left. You'd be hard-pressed in transcript form to note the difference between what Michael Steele says as Republican on MSNBC and what Claire McCaskill, former Democrat senator from Missouri, says on MSNBC. If you just read the transcripts, they are both left-wing wackos. Now, I don't know if either of them believe what they say. You shouldn't probably believe anything anybody on cable news says. But Michael Steele has a long history of saying the opposite of what he's saying now. Now, you can always evolve over time. Your opinions change. New information comes to light, so on and so forth. I get that. I believe anybody who tells you, look, on this issue, I've just changed over time. That's fine. I don't trust anybody who tells you that they've or who is saying the exact opposite of everything they used to say on every issue doesn't matter. The Arianna Huffington or David Brock used to be so-called conservatives. And then suddenly a whole bunch of money comes their way. And now down the line, they're leftists or they're down the line leftists. And then miraculously, a whole bunch of money came their way, which came first. I don't know. But you can anybody who has a wholesale flip flopping on everything is a lying bag of excrement, as far as I can tell. Because it just doesn't happen. They're doing it for they're doing it for money, and Michael Steele, he, he Michael Steele loves not having to really work for a living. Being on MSNBC, being the token Republican, having the stamp of former RNC chairman. Oh man, he's for armor. That means the head of the party. Realistically, you're a fundraiser, you're a chief fundraiser. But they, uh, the ignorance of the media and the people around it. It allows you to say he's the head of the party, like he was setting the path of the party. He was choosing policy positions and things like that. Not true, not remotely true. So Michael Steele is now an appendage of the left. You can choose which one. I have my own opinions. 
And as such, they roll him out whenever they need to pretend that they're bipartisan and whenever they need an attack on anything that isn't doctrinaire leftist, anything that is pseudo-conservative might help Republicans, they roll out Michael Steele, who happily hammers that check and goes, what do you need me to say today? All right, I will denounce it. And such was the case on the Simone Sanders show. Simone Sanders worked in the White House. She was Kamala Harris's communications director for about 20 minutes. She was also the... uh, Nobody could stand to work for Kamala Harris for very long. She was also the communications director for Bernie Sanders' campaigns. She's a well-known leftist on uh, cable news, so naturally MSNBC... I don't understand who goes... And MSNBC goes, hey, Simone Sanders is available. Really? What do we need her for? Well, in case any of the other 300 employees who are on air at MSNBC are ever sick, we can have her come out and say exactly the same thing as everybody else. Well, that's a hell of a selling point. Let's sign her. But that's the way cable news works. They're all interchangeable. Everybody on cable news is just a a regular blank Lego piece, just a two little square Lego piece. You just snap one out, snap one in, move on, go on. They all profess to be great friends until one of them gets fired. And then they never even speak of them again. Forget about hanging out with them. They never speak of them again. Anyway, Sanders had on Michael Steele to talk about this Twitter story, this this, uh, Hunter Biden story. Michael Steele, being the very good dog that he is, does not disappoint. Let's talk about Elon Musk's efforts um, to draw attention to Hunter Biden's laptop once again and Donald Trump's really absurd response on his social media platform. The way that the president responded is to basically say that Twitter's actions warrant ignoring the Constitution and undoing the results of the 2020 election. But to be clear, neither of those things are possible. So what are your thoughts on all of this tomfoolery over the last 24 hours? I guess with Musk is to prove that, hey, I'm the right kind of Republican, meaning I'm a Trump Republican. I'm a, uh, you know, election denying Republican. I, I don't know what kind of Republican he is. I mean, probably next year he'll be an independent or a Democrat, depending on how the wind blows. Um, but the re- but the reality of it is uh, putting those things back on the platform uh, it juxtaposition with the argument that he's all about free speech. Um, really undermines the central, some of the central tenets of free speech is that it is, it is about, yes, the freedom of you to say things, but not at the harm or expense of someone else. <laughs> That's really rich. Really rich having Michael Steele say, oh, he's just trying to ingratiate himself to whoever it is, and he'll change his opinions should something else become fashionable. Mike, find a reflective surface, pal, all right? Find a reflective surface. I get it. It's too far gone now. Whatever part of your soul was a normal, decent human being is long since dead. It's understandable that you would forget where you're from. But maybe when you're sitting in a makeup chair, you find a reflective surface there, pal. Do that. I just love that. Hey, man, it just it, it, next year it'll be this. He tried. Now, you could tell by that discussion, the introduction by Simone Sanders, and the rambling answer by Michael Steele that neither one of them were remotely familiar with what had been exposed or what had been discussed. They don't know the story. They don't need to know the story. That's why I tell you, don't watch cable news. You just heard a discussion watched by tens of viewers, because granted it's MSNBC on the weekend, watched by tens of viewers. 
where the two principal people, the only two people in the conversation, have no knowledge of the story whatsoever, and they don't have to. In fact, if they had knowledge of the story, that would be a, a drawback. Because one of them might say something accidentally that could cause one of the dozens of people watching to go out and say, well, that sounded a little weird. I'm going to go and look at this thing. What do you mean pictures of Hunter with prostitutes? Or what do you mean this 10% for the big guy? Or even just as that'd be a little too specific for them. But what do you mean that uh, the left conspired with Twitter executives to bury this story, to block this story? What is the story that they wanted blocked? It's one thing you'll never hear discussed on CNN or MSNBC, MSNBC in particular. That's one thing you didn't hear discussed when CNN or when CBS eventually got around to quote unquote verifying the the authenticity of the laptop. In their five minute report saying this laptop, it turns out, is real. They never talked about what was on the laptop. They never talked about the pictures of him smoking crack. They never talked about the pictures of him with prostitutes. They never talked about the videos of him having sex with prostitutes or smoking crack or snorting cocaine or talking about all the business deals and 10% for the big guy and anything like that or the pictures of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden's business partners juxtaposed with the video multiple times of Joe Biden saying, I never once discussed business with my son Hunter or my brother. None of them. All of that would be wildly damning. Nope. CBS just said, well, we had to pretend that this story's real. Because God forbid, we don't know what communications people had from here with what Twitter. So in case that comes out, we've got to get ahead of that. MSNBC doesn't even care. They don't even pretend to do that. They just simply try to dismiss the story out of hand because their audience, look, if you're watching MSNBC, you're either being slowly tortured like Malcolm McDowell in uh, A Clockwork Orange where your eyes are pried open and you're just being brainwashed and tortured, or you want to be brainwashed and tortured. You're on the team and you just need constant reinforcement. I've never seen anybody, any group of people need constant reinforcement the way leftists need constant reinforcement. It's like the second you're not being preached to, you'll suddenly begin to question the existence of the narrative that you've just been indoctrinated with. So they keep it constantly. You're only addicted to heroin as long as you're shooting heroin. The second you stop shooting heroin, you're no longer addicted to it. That's not how it works. But maybe that's how liberals, liberalism works. Because once you're exposed to the anecdote, antidote, once you're exposed to contrary opinions or even the concept of foreign opinions, of contrary opinions. Everything can go straight to hell. So they won't even run risk of that happening. I have one more clip of uh, Michael Steele, our esteemed former lieutenant governor in the state of Maryland. You wonder why things are terrible in uh, with Republicans like this. Who needs Democrats? And then you go, well, surely they've corrected them. They've learned from... No, then, then we elected Larry Hogan. <laughs> Twice. Twice. And what's amazing is that Larry Hogan walks out with as much a delusion as Michael Steele does. Michael Steele, well, I'm a true face of conservatism. Well, yeah, you can tell you that the true face of conservatism would absolutely spew everything that liberals do. And that's, that's the future. The future of conservatism is liberal. Now, go ahead and square that circle. You can't 
But then again, why would you try? You're not cutting on Michael Steele isn't going to cut you in on his deal with MSNBC. He's very interested in money for himself, not principle, which is easy to do when he didn't have any to start off with. Anyway, he uh, still going on about Elon Musk. And you'll notice in this clip, too, with him and Simone Sanders, they don't, they don't, they won't, they can't, they're incapable of it. They seem blissfully unaware of the circumstances of anything related to the story itself. It's amazing, again, how a purported news network could produce a segment on a topic neither the host nor the guest is familiar with and it not matter at all. And so when you're perpetuating lies and and, and so forth, um, you're really kind of laughing in the face of this idea of what the platform he claims is supposed to be. For the party, um, they love it. I mean, they got they got the world, one of the world's richest men uh, helping them uh, foment the kind of distrust of the system uh, and disinformation um, where their fingerprints don't necessarily have to be on it. Mm, like a little plausible deniability, if you will. Okay, yeah, well, well then- Elon said. <laughs> exactly. It wasn't me, it was Elon. Yeah, little fingerprints. It wasn't me, it was Elon. Oh, yeah. Give me a break. The problem is that they're not acknowledging any. They don't talk about any of the specifics because they don't know any of the specifics. They can't be bothered with any of the specifics. They're not interested in any of the specifics. It's amazing to watch a news network go, hey, we're going to talk about this. All right, well, what is it? Oh, there's just a whole bunch of right-wingers saying that, uh, you know, Twitter was silencing this Hunter Biden story. All right, well, let's talk about it. Do you want to read any anything remotely related to the coverage? No, I think I got the gist of it. Just tell me what I'm supposed to say. Oh, make an Elon joke, make a Republican suck joke, and we'll get through the segment lickety-split. Well, that sounds good to me. That's what they pay me the big bucks for. What an absolute disgrace. I'm embarrassed for him, and I'm embarrassed to know him. She really is just a horrible, horrible person. Not unique in any way, shape, or form. I've already gone through the others. But he's the only one who's out there. I'm a true conservative. I'm a Republican. I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm the other thing. Okay, where are you? What are you conservative on, Mike? What are you conservative on in any way, shape, or form? Go ahead. I'll wait. No, you can't. You can't list anything. They don't have anything. He doesn't. He's not. And then you look and you go, how does the Republican Party fall, a party chairman? Well, I got this email. This is from the Montgomery County Republican Party here in Maryland. Montgomery County is butt up against, for those of you who don't know for some reason, but up against Washington, D.C., it's a very, very rich, one of the richest counties in the world, and the country anyway. And it's full of liberals, of course, who work in Washington, D.C. They wouldn't deign to live in Washington, D.C. Well, no, they work in Washington, D.C. They go in there uh, to collect their money, either tax dollars or lobbyist money. They make a fortune, lawyers' fees, whatever it is. And then they go back to their suburbs and vote for left-wingers make property so wildly when they talk about we need high density housing so that uh, we can diversify the neighborhood not not in montgomery county that in certain parts try and put it in chevy chase 
try and tear down a park to put up some uh, low-income apartment buildings. See how long it takes for the pitchforks to come out. Try that in Potomac, Maryland. Try that in Bethesda, Maryland. Put something down the street from, or propose something down the street from President Fauci's house. See how long it takes you for to spot him out at a protest about this. But uh, you want to talk about a party in disarray and a party that could somehow elect something like Michael Steele as its chairman. You look no further than the Montgomery County Republican Party. Their newsletter for today. Dear Derek, we wish the county executive and council well. Their installation is today in Rockville. Now, there's a reason that uh, me and the wife and kids moved out of Montgomery County, and it is because of their left-wing rabid government. Unfortunately, where we moved is becoming that too. But at least for now, we're semi-safe. It'll t- the left will ruin it because the left ruins everything eventually. But Montgomery County is the worst. It's a momentous occasion, except for maybe Baltimore City, Baltimore County. It's a momentous occasion. Instead of it's nine, of nine, it's now 11 members and many new faces. There aren't very many people, certainly not uh, conservatives, who would go, what the government needs is more people, right? It needs more employees. As a matter of fact, it says, all the new faces are women. Yes, extolling the virtue of conservatism known as identity politics. We the citizens did that. We waited for the entrenched politicians to open things up. They didn't. So the citizens, Democrats, Republicans, and independents, petitioned for term limits. So the same folks would not be ele- so the same folks would not be elected over and over again. We won that fight. That made offices open up for fresh folks with fresh ideas. No. It's just like Baltimore did a few years ago when the mayor was uh, indicted and had to resign and the replacement mayor the accidental mayor who wasn't up for the job said, I'm not running for re-election. And half the city council said, I want the job. And they all were announcing that they were going to run for mayor rather than run for re-election. And I thought, mistakenly, hey, maybe we get some fresh blood in there, change the direction of the city, maybe stem the tide of some of these murders, you know, improve the quality of life of the citizens of Baltimore. And then the people that were elected to replace all the people who had dropped out to run for mayor were all this, it wasn't the same people, but it was the same ideas. And it doesn't matter the wrapping paper. Socks are still socks when you open them. It could be wrapped in newspaper or it could be wrapped in wildly expensive cloth and done in, in, immaculately. It's still socks inside. It doesn't matter. Different people implementing the same crap policies will lead to the same result. It doesn't matter which person is doing it. Liberal policies, socialism doesn't work if the right configuration of human being implements it. Well, socialism has failed everywhere it's tried because there's never been a trans woman of color implementing it. No, no, that's stupid. But that's what this Republican letter sort of implies. Then, as the population increased and the politicians from Tacoma Park came to rule everything, the citizens spoke up again. Democrats, Republicans, and independents put forward another petition to expand the number of seats so the rest of the county would have a chance at representation, too. The council was aghast, but it too passed. 
after they watered it down a bit. So now, with extra members, plenty of female voices, and better representation today is a new start. Again, we wish them well, and the citizens will keep watching. Signed, Montgomery County Republican Party. I heard a news report earlier this morning about, oh, it's the most diverse, most diverse the board has ever been. You know, like, how's diverse? Well, it's the, all the new members are women. And there's a gay guy on there, I think. And there might have been a person of color, too, or something like that. Like, really? Go back and see and listen to what I just said. It doesn't matter the wrapping paper of what is imposing stupidity. Stupidity is stupidity, no matter how polished it is. No matter how perfectly wrapped it is. And you watch all this crap and you say, this is, this is a Republican party? I don't know why it is Republicans, so many of them. I mean, look, if, you're, if you want to make money, you take the Michael Steele model. You take the Michael Steele model, you go with the leftist crap, and you go, hey, you've you got a title that you can sell, that you can pimp yourself out because of your former title. And you can do that. Former RNC chair, you can, when Ronna Romney McDaniel leaves office, if she decides, because I can't imagine Fox wanting to pay her, if she decides that she wants to be a cable news pundit, if she's, you know, I'm done with working for a living and wants to be a cable news pundit, all she has to do is sort of denounce everything she's stood for, everything she's argued for for the last couple of years, and she will find riches. She's going to have to, it'll take a couple of years. She'll have to really constantly do it to earn the left's trust, but they will hire her. They'll probably give her a show, put Michael Steele and, and McDaniel uh, on a show together, make them have their own show, be very lucrative for both of them if you have no principles. I assume she does have principles, but we shall, I assumed Michael Steele had them too, and it turns out he didn't. But if you wonder why it is in Maryland, we just can't get our, our feet under us, or wherever you live, and you sit there and you say, well, I bet you Maryland County or uh, Montgomery County GOP is no different than the GOP in a lot of blue states or a lot of blue areas where they go, well, if we just offer ourselves as... Democrats light, then we'll win. We'll win. Because there are a lot of people who don't like Democrats, but they'll love Democrat light. Not realizing that maybe people don't like Democrats because they don't like Democrats. And a lot of people don't vote because when the choice is no choice whatsoever, why would they bother? And you also have a lot of people who look at it and say, well, and this is what Republicans do all the time. This is a big problem I had with Larry Hogan is a lot of times he seeded the concept and just wanted to talk about the dollar figures involved. If you, and Republicans nationally have done this too. If Democrats are saying, we're going to give you $500 to vote for in, in this policy, we're going to give you $500 to help fight inflation or whatever. And Republicans come back and say, that's ridiculous. That won't, that'll only make inflation worse. Our plan gives you $250 and it won't nearly do the damage to the economy that their $500 plan was. Well, first of all, people don't think about the damage to the economy. They think about their bottom line in a lot of cases, especially when presented with no choice whatsoever. 
just a matter of degrees difference. Republican, there are a lot of people who would have been open to a, this is not constitutional, not the job of the federal government, not this, not that, the other thing, and make things worse. A lot of people would be open to that argument, except Republicans refuse to make it. Republicans refuse to make it. Instead, they say, we'll do the same thing, only less of it. Well, if you're going to vote, if your vote can be bought, if you say, well, I want, uh, I want money from the government or I'm convinced that government should give me money, why in the hell would you vote for somebody offering to give you less money if those are your choices? The principled people stay home. The principled conservatives go, this is terrible. I'm not going to be involved with either one of these things. And the leftists win because when you choose choices between somebody giving you $500 or somebody giving you $250, you're, you'd be stupid to choose the person giving you $250, wouldn't you? Once you've accepted the concept that government should be giving you something, you're really stupid to vote for the... But yeah, government should be giving us things. But I want less of it. No, you go for the full bore. Why not? Whereas there'd be a lot of people out there open to the idea that government shouldn't be giving you anything if Republicans did that. In Montgomery County and in liberal counties and cities and states across the country, the Republicans that they offer up and the Republican Party that comes together seems either they're not conservative at all, which is entirely possible, or they are hedging their bets and going, well, you know what, if we, we don't go as far as Democrats do, we'll pick up a lot of people who aren't as comfortable with what Democrats are doing. Maybe you will, but you'll also lose a lot of people that you should have had and would have had had you been conservative. Choosing the full-flavored versus the light edition, when you're not counting calories, everybody's going to go for the full-flavored one. But given the choice between tofu and steak, maybe not everybody's going to order the steak right away, but over time, when you really you know, commit to making an argument of the virtues of steak over the bland, textureless mush of tofu, you will get people going, you know what, I'm, I'm steak, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dabble with it, I'm going to try steak. Sooner or later, somebody's going to try steak. Look at New York City. And they're not there right now, but after decades of Democrat rule, after decades of eating tofu and watching crime soar and things get worse, what happened? Rudy Giuliani ran once against Dinkins and lost. He was offering steak and they said, we're not interested in tofu. We're going to ride the tofu train. And things continued to spiral out of control. Crime went through and then they said, all right, fine, we'll try steak. And then Rudy had two of the most successful terms of any mayor ever. Forget New York City, any mayor ever anywhere. What happened after him is a different story, but he did that. Now, New York is headed back that way if Republicans could offer up a candidate that was worth a damn. That's another question altogether, whether or not New York can field anybody like that. But here, after Glenn Denning and Kennedy Townsend, People were sick of Democrats. They tried Republicans, Ehrlich and Steele. Steele was a conservative at the time. Ehrlich was a great governor. He was too successful. 
<laughs> they said, all right, now things are going well enough that we can just kind of go back to autopilot. And they went with the shiny package of Martin O'Malley. But after that, two terms of that, they said, enough, enough. Things are out of control. It's costing too much. And they went for a Republican. They went for Larry Hogan. You never, if you don't offer people an actual choice, they're always going to go with the Democrat instead of Democrat light. If you argue and make a difference and make an argument about the difference and why differences matter and why you're right, then you stand a chance of winning if you really want to win. But so many people in the Republican Party in this state and in so many other states are more interested in positioning themselves for power and influence that they can then make money off of than they are actual victories for a cause they generally only pay lip service for. Maybe I'm too cynical. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. I want to shift it up here and just talk briefly about the change that Democrats have instituted in their primary process that Biden has. I doubt Joe Biden did. I don't think Joe Biden is aware of this. But the Washington Post puts it this way. Biden shakes up the primary calendar and insulates himself from challengers. He's consolidating power is what he's doing. That's what it is. Iowa is out President Biden has made it abundantly clear that he intends to run for re-election in 2024. Any doubt about that was removed when he surprised members of the Democratic National Committee with a proposal that dramatically reshapes the early primary season calendar and bends it in his favor. Absent a declaration of candidacy, it was the latest signal of a politically engaged president. That's all he is. He's not policy engaged. He's not reality engaged. He doesn't know what the hell's going on. So uh, politically engaged is all he's got. The DNC Rules and Bylaws Committee has been deliberating for many months a new order for the early states, one that was already destined to eliminate Iowa from the list of early contests. But committee members were reluctant to move ahead without input from the leader. The old order for starting, we see they, it would be Iowa caucuses, then New Hampshire primary, then South Carolina, so on and so forth. But... So the Biden plan throws out decades of tradition and addresses complaints that Iowa and New Hampshire, two predominantly white states, are not representative of the country or of the party's diverse coalition. Now, you got to love that. White people, believe it or not, I swear to God, I looked into this. White people are still Americans and are still a part of the United States of America. Swear to God. It's true. <laughs> but... You sit there and go, oh, no, there's too many white people. Too many white people in these states. They don't accurately reflect America. Americans reflect America. Should that not be the case? Shouldn't that be just a reality? But no, not according to Democrats. It's really kind of disgusting to think about it. But a little secret. Because they say, well, there's too many white people. The demographics of the South Carolina, 66.5% white. True story. Far too many white, white people there, too. I don't know what state has the highest non-white population. Maybe California. Why wouldn't they go to California? Why wouldn't they go to someplace where you, Arizona, something like that? Wherever it is where you can have the most non-white people. Oh, no, white people in California, 71%. What a mess. 
What is that? Do we not have a place in this country that is not a safe space for white people? Arizona, 82%? That's crazy. How about New Mexico? That has to be. Something's got to give here. Something's got to be off-white. I don't know where the hell it is. Uh, this one didn't come up. It's an ethnic breakdown. of White, 81 This This is a travesty. We need to create a new state. You know what? Democrats need to just create a separate primary system for people who are not white. Whites only primary and non-white primary. You know, Democrats are pretty good at separating people out that way. It should be really easy for them to do. They've done it for decades. They, in fact, were the originators of it. So it ought to be really easy for them to do. But ultimately, that's what they're doing. Make no mistake about it. More importantly, what they're doing is they're looking at Iowa and they're basically giving Iowa the finger. We don't care about Iowa at all. We don't want you to have input because Iowa is mostly a red state, right? Very occasionally do Democrats carry the presidential election, but not very often. It's a red state. Republicans are going to continue to carry that. Republicans are going to continue to carry that because now the Democrats are getting dumped on Democrats who live there saying you're too white. We don't care what you have to say. We're not interested. They're not going to become Republican voters. They're just going to go with the hell with you. Why would we bother? New Hampshire, possibly they could switch too. They've been trending blue, but you never know. It depends on how many people from Massachusetts flee to New Hampshire, flee the horrible policies that they instituted over in Massachusetts and then vote for the morons who will promise to implement those policies in New Hampshire. But what's funny is for all the complaints that Iowa is just too damned white, Iowa is actually pretty successful at picking Democrat winners. Realistically, if you just go back to the last 2016, Hillary Clinton won the Iowa caucuses. 2008, Barack Obama won the Iowa caucuses. 2012, he won them too, but he was uncontested. 2004, John Kerry won the Iowa caucuses over John Edwards, Howard Dean, Dick Gephardt, and the whole clown car there. And in 2000, Al Gore won the Iowa caucuses over Bill Bradley. There is a long history of Iowa actually picking the ultimate winner. Not because, you know, they, they decided not to vote for the black guy. They voted for the black guy the one time they had. It's the Democrats who chose not to run black guys. But the Republican side, Republicans should have gotten rid of Iowa a long time ago. It, it, it doesn't actually do anything. They shouldn't. It's just tradition. But the one thing you've got to recognize is that winning the Iowa caucuses, more often than not, means you won't win the... Republican nomination. It means more often than not, you will win the Democratic nomination. But Joe Biden came in fourth. And so he's mad about that. So he's not interested in allowing people to have a say because they're too white. South Carolina saved Joe Biden last time. He lost in, I think he lost in New Hampshire too. And it was South Carolina where Jim Clyburn came out and said, we've got to vote for Hey, black people, we got to vote for the whitest of the white guys. The old racist. And they did. They followed suit. 
And then immediately the rest of the Democratic field scared to death that Bernie Sanders could win. All dropped out for their various payoffs, like Pete Buttigieg getting a cabinet post, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, endorsed Joe Biden. It was all a play. I think that uh, this is naked party politics. It's it's shocking how it's being spun as he's just consolidating power. Stalin consolidates power, consolidated power. Vladimir Putin consolidates power. Xi Jinping, that footage I told you about a couple of, like a month ago, where they had the big party conclave in, in Beijing, and that guy sitting next to Xi Jinping was basically dragged out of the meeting as he's begging to Xi Jinping, going, what's going on? Why are you taking me? And Xi Jinping just looked straight ahead and didn't give it. It was a nice little purge right there, putting everybody in the room on notice that if you are not on board, you're going to be run over by the boat. Watch out. Nobody is safe. Even the guy sitting literally next to him can be chucked out, disappeared, putting people on notice consolidating power. That's what Joe Biden is doing. The people who will tell you that the Republicans are totalitarians and Donald Trump is a monster are doing everything they can to make sure that nobody challenges their established pecking order. If you ever want to know what a Democrat is really up to, just take a look at what they're accusing Republicans of trying to do. That is an axiom that never fails. Now I want to shift it up in the little bit of time we have left just because it uh, is one of those things. I saw this happened and I I wasn't necessarily surprised. I was uh, the New York papers, of course, I'm talking, I'm talking baseball. If you don't like sports, go ahead, turn it off now. But uh, the hall of fame, baseball hall of fame. Problem is we're entering a time of, you have to be retired for five years in order to make it into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And then you've got like 10 years of eligibility. And then you go on to like veterans committees and things like that. So we're entering a time when the players that are retiring, honestly, they don't have the statistics to warrant enshrinement in the Hall of Fame. By and large, they don't. There used to be at least, you know, let me take my dentures out. Back in my day... There used to be this these benchmarks that if you made them, you would make the Hall of Fame. Then it was, if you didn't make them, it was really kind of subjective. Frankly, like, let me look this up, because I don't think that uh, Ryan Sandberg deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, right? Good baseball player, second baseman, but stat-wise, I'm not really sure. His career batting average, 285. His career hits twenty three eighty six, home runs two eighty two. When you compare him to other second basemen, like oh well, he's got more home runs than other second basemen. Like so, what? The standard used to be, you hit three hundred, you're probably in. If you got to three thousand hits, you get in. If you're a pitcher, you get to three hundred wins, you're in. Then they kind of lowered that to two hundred and fifty because nobody's allowed to pitch more than five innings anymore. Because why would you pay somebody, you know, $25 million a year to, to pitch six innings? What are you, insane? We've got a perfect game going. We've got to pull that guy out. He's, he's reached his pitch count. And with home runs, if you hit 500 home runs, you got into the Hall of Fame. Short of that, you had to do something really spectacular. You had to sort of carry a team on your back. 
if you couldn't get to 3,000 hits, if you couldn't, if you weren't batting 300, you're like an Ozzy Smith. I don't think Ozzy Smith, um, and I, I know I'm speaking Greek for a lot of people. I'm look, pulling up Ozzy. Yeah, Ozzy Smith's career batting average, 262, 2,460 hits. So he was close to 2,500 hits if you lower that bar, but he's at a time when you didn't do that. Only 28 career home runs in 9,396 at-bats, which is nuts. But uh, 1,200, almost 1,300 runs versus 800 RBIs. And if I look at his batting average, did he ever hit above 300? He hit above 300 once or twice. He hit above 300 once. He hit 303. He wasn't a hitter. He wasn't hired because of his... He wasn't an all-star. He wasn't one of the greatest shortstops ever because of what he did with the stick. It's what he did with the glove. And that's fine. You want to put him in there, he's probably the greatest fielding shortstop in the history of the game. The Wizard of Oz. He'd come out all the way to the end. He'd come out and do like a cartwheel sort of flip, backflip thing. I think he probably retired because he didn't want to have to try to do that. Like James Brown stopped performing when he's like, I don't want to do the splits anymore. It hurts. So he said, forget it. I'm quitting. But uh, he deserves to be in there because of how good he was with the glove. Some might say that Brooks Robinson is the same way. Brooks Robinson, he, uh, I think people have a uh, an idea of him being a better hitter than he actually was. Now he had twenty eight hundred forty eight hits, over a hundred thousand, hundred thousand, over ten thousand at bats, two hundred sixty. He had a, a good career, two sixty seven batting average, but he only hit over three hundred, I think, once in his career. 303 in 1962, I guess 317 again. So he hit over 300 twice in his career. Otherwise, he didn't really sniff 300. But he's the human vacuum cleaner over there at third base. Definitely, he had a long career. He put up some some pretty good numbers as far as total number of hits. Definitely belongs in the hall. A lot of RBIs, almost 1,400 RBIs. Not too shabby. Nowadays, there isn't anybody even close to those stats, to that threshold. So the Hall of Fame and the sports writers are either put forward with the idea of not having anybody. I think one year they they didn't have anybody get into the Hall of Fame. Or lowering kind of the standards without actually announcing that they're lowering the standards. And that gave hope to a lot of people who, frankly, when I was a kid, you thought he's one of the best in baseball. And for a long period of time, he was one of the best in baseball. He's just not a Hall of Fame guy. Don Mattingly. Don, when I played strikeout as a kid, which is where you paint the wall, the uh, X, the strike zone on the wall, and you throw that ball in there, and it was me and my friend Kevin Whitman playing against each other. I'd, I'd love to pretend to be Don Mattingly. He'd have to bat the way he's left-handed. He had a weird stance where his, his his right foot was out. He had a squat, and he pointed his toe backwards. It was really kind of an awkward stance. But if you were going to pretend to be somebody, you had to bat like him. So I'd bat like Rod Carew with the bat lagging around and Don Mattingly. Don Mattingly's career batting average was three oh seven. Nothing to sniff at, over three hundred. But he only had 2,153 hits. 222 home runs because he didn't have a particularly long career, 14 years. So he didn't reach those thresholds. If you had a two-year career or a five-year career, I think is the minimum, and you bat at 300, then because of injury, you're out of the league, you shouldn't get into the Hall of Fame, for example. 
You, you have to, it's not only being good, it's being good for an extended period of time. Don Mattingly was good, but he didn't play that long. He had a couple of bad years because Don Mattingly had a bad back. And he had a lot of years where he didn't and couldn't play full seasons. So in his 14 years, he probably paid about 11 years worth of baseball. I I wouldn't have a problem with him getting into the Hall of Fame because he was one of my heroes as a kid. But he didn't make the Hall of Fame probably because he didn't meet any of those thresholds. Like, the, like I say, the batting average has to be over a longer period of time. But Fred McGriff did. Fred McGriff is going into the Hall of Fame. Don Mattingly, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Raphael Palmero, Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling is different from the others because the others are all implicated in steroids, which were not illegal at the time, but uh, broke the spirit of the game. Uh, Kurt Schilling is not getting in and not getting support because he's a conservative and he's a vocal conservative. Uh, So that's garbage. But all those people were passed over, including Mattingly. But McGriff, the crime dog, Deserves to be there. Just one of the things that will bother me forever about Fred McGriff, and if I ever had the chance to ask him, I'd ask him. He ended up with 493 career home runs. Why not stick around for seven more home runs? Why not do that? Like, what are you doing that you just go, Mr. 3000, remember that? Where uh, I can't remember the guy's name. He comes back. To, he wasn't going to bat 300. Fred McGriff wasn't. So, uh, or Mr. 3000, I guess the movie was. But 493 home runs. Come back. You're never going to get your average up to 300. Come back and hit seven more home runs. Get to 500 just to be part of the 500 home run club. Still, McGriff deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He was actually 10 hits shy of 2,500, too. So he should have. Some team still signed him to this day. He could put seven out over the course of a year. Think of the PR value. Be worth it. Be worth it. Congratulations, crime dog. Now get Pete Rose in the hall conversation for another day i've had enough that is all for today ladies and gentlemen you are now free to move about the cabin we'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow thanks for listening